just as much as those outside the church. This survey is called the State of Theology, and they last performed it in 2020. And if you want to find any of this information, just go to thestateoftheology.com. But on this survey, a question put forth asked about Jesus. And this is what it said. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Do you strongly agree? Somewhat agree. Not sure. Somewhat disagree or strongly disagree. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So adults in the U.S., 52% agree. Jesus is not God. 36 disagreed. 52% of Americans do not believe that Jesus is God. And we might, we might say that, does, that shouldn't surprise us, right? The general population rejects the deity of Jesus Christ. But then, within that survey, we look at people who identify as evangelicals. People who would say that they have professed faith in Jesus. Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God. 26% agreed of evangelicals. Historically, evangelicals have affirmed the authority of the Bible and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible testifies to the deity of Christ. He is God incarnate, the Word made flesh. But almost one-third of evangelicals believe that he was merely a good teacher. That means one out of three of you don't believe that Jesus is God, statistically. And we might claim, you know, we're a Reformed church. We take pride in what we know about Bible and theology, if you even know what Reformed means. Another statement that was answered that's a central doctrine to the Christian faith in the survey. God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because one's faith in Jesus Christ. Shorthand, this is the gospel. Does God count you as righteous because of what you do or because your faith in Jesus? 84% of U.S. evangelicals agree with that statement. You know what that means? At least 12% disagree with the gospel. Only 84% of evangelicals believe that they are counted righteous because of Jesus. What this survey clearly reveals is that, yes, Americans outside the church need to know what the Bible teaches. But it also reveals that Americans inside the church need to know what the Bible teaches. What I want us to see this morning is that this survey reveals 
the dire situation in which we live. We don't know our Bibles. We don't hold the Word of God in high regard. People who identify as Christians, people who should identify as people of the Word, don't clearly know what the Word says. And what I believe what the Holy Spirit wants us to see this morning in Ezra 7 is that without the Word, the people of God have no life. Last time I preached in Ezra 7, I preached the first 10 verses. And what I said then was in chapters 1 through 6, God has called his people out of exile. Ezra 1 through 6. God has called his people out of exile to rebuild the temple. And what we see in chapters 7 and what we will see through the rest of Ezra through chapter 10 is that God is now rebuilding his people on the word of God. God called Zerubbabel and Jeshua to rebuild the temple, and they came. They laid the foundation. They built the altar. They constructed the second temple. But now God has called Ezra to rebuild his people by laying the foundation, which is the word of God. It's the law of God. And God's people need someone skilled in teaching them the word of God. Because what this chapter reveals that this is what God's people need most. And we're going to see this later on, especially when we get to chapters 9 and 10. Is that God's people need his word to survive. It's been 50 years. The temple has been built for 50 years. They have the sacrifices. They have the altar. They have everything they need, but they still don't believe. How many of us today have church? Maybe go to Bible study. Maybe even ask for someone to pray for us. Have been baptized. Yet they do not believe in the word of God. There's good news in this passage. Because when God sees his people need his word, he sends it to them. And I want us to see specifically two things this morning. God sends people with the word. And then my second point will be God's people are called to respond. So God's God sends people with the word. God sends Ezra. 
to feed his people with the word through a pagan king. This is the third time we've seen this. This is the third king in Ezra. It's almost the same story retold over and over again. As you can look in Ezra 1, God stirred up the heart of Cyrus to send the people back. God moved in the life of Darius to give the people what they needed to build the temple. And here God moves again through Artaxerxes to send Ezra so that he can feed his people. Over the past months, I've been listening to a podcast by Christianity Today, and it's been intriguing. Um, it's been really great for me. It's a, it's a podcast hosted by Mike Cosper. It's called The Rise and the Fall of Mars Hill. In it, Mike Cosper looks at the Seattle-based megachurch called Mars Hill, and it was founded in 1996 by Mark Driscoll. And then it came spiraling down almost overnight in 2014. And if you're interested in Amer the American church, its culture, its bright spots and dark spots, I really, I, I do recommend this podcast. And throughout this podcast, something that's talked about over and over again is this church's origin story. How the church began. And it's Mark Driscoll's testimony that the origin stories of Mars Hill is that God miraculously spoke to him and told him to plant a church in Seattle. And that sounds amazing, right? How many of you have audibly heard the word of God? To be able to say, God spoke to me. Now, this is not something that I can tackle in 25 minutes. Maybe if I had 45 minutes, but not 25. But it was as if Mark Driscoll was like Moses or Paul, and God divinely revealed himself in a special way to give him influence that no one else had. But before I go on, do not hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that God speaks to his people. That God answers our prayers and supplication. I'm not saying that God does not hear us. But what Mark Driscoll is proposing is that he has had a very extraordinary way of communicating with God that no one else has had. And at first, something that I have to admit I have to admit that's never happened to me. And when you hear someone else say that, there's almost a kind of, if you're like me, there's almost a kind of a longing of why hasn't that, why isn't, why hasn't that happened to me? And it kind of makes me feel insignificant. How many times have you heard stories of people saying, God has spoken to me with an audible voice. And then we have to ask ourselves, do we need the audible voice of God to tell us what his will for us is? Is this something that we should expect? Is this something 
even that we should want. And here's where I want to bring in caution. As we've seen in the book of Ezra, God is directing his people to do his will. God is even directing three kings to do his will. And in the past, in books like the Exodus, God revealed himself in a burning bush that didn't really burn, but we call it the burning bush. God revealed himself to Moses and told him exactly what to do. He did it in wonder and majesty, through natural signs, through his special presence, he performed a miracle. But do we see that in the book of Ezra? The answer is no, we don't. In Ezra 1, what do we see? We see God stirring up the heart of Cyrus. We see God stirring up the spirit of his people and calling them back. God doesn't come down in the form of a cloud and fire. He moves by the power of his spirit. And this is how God has worked throughout this book. And if you even remember, Artaxerxes that we see in here, chapter 7, is the same king in chapter 4 who stopped the people from building the wall. And God has mysteriously worked in his life to bring about his peace and his will for his people. He has allowed Ezra, a priest and a scribe, to find favor with the king with a pagan king. And God is building his church upon his word through a decree of a pagan king. And let's, let's, let's see how he does this in verse 13. Our Xerxes says, I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or the priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem, may go with you. And he also provides financial support, we see in verses 15 to 18. And also to carry the silver and the gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowing willingly for the house of God, of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall go with all diligence, buying bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. God is using a pagan king to supply everything that God's people need. Everything. Silver, gold, sacrifices. And then he goes on in verse 20. Whatever else is required for your house of, for the house of your God, which it, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. 
If you're missing anything, just let me know, and I'll fill up the bank account. Our deacons really wish that would happen today. And then he sends back the vessels. Verse 19. The vessels that have been given you for your service to the house of God, you shall deliver before your God. This is the same thing that that, um, Cyrus did in chapter 1. But then Artaxerxes takes one step farther. He goes one step farther than Cyrus or Darius. Because Artaxerxes also sends Ezra, a priest and a scribe. God is using a pagan king to do his will. To bring the word of God. You know, it seems interesting if you've noticed where God is in the story. Right? Some of us might expect him, like Moses, to reveal himself in special ways. But he reveals himself through a priest and a scribe. You know, often we think of priests as people who, or as men who would just make sacrifices in the temple. But we also see that in um, Deuteronomy, priests did not just offer sacrifices, but they are also to teach diligently. We see in Leviticus 10, Aaron told his sons, after two of them have just been killed, for not doing what they were supposed to do. He says in Leviticus 10.10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the clean and the unclean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord God has spoken to you by Moses. This is what God's people needed. They needed someone to teach them the word. When God's people begin to wane, what does God do? He sends his word. Eight times in chapter 7, we hear the word of God, the law referenced. In chapter 6, or in verse 6, 10, 11, 12, 14, twice in 25, and verse 26. God uses all sorts of ways to bless his people silver, gold. Bulls, rams, salt. But the primary way that God works in the lives of his people is through his word. Because this is what the people of God need. And then we see this Ezra figure as a second Moses, right? We see three times in this chapter that the hand of the Lord was on him. Well, this is a phrase that's specifically used when Moses brought the people out of Egypt. God's hand was upon Ezra, guiding him, protecting him, directing him. Yet Ezra was not like Moses. He didn't have divine revelation. All we read is that the Spirit was at work. What does this mean for us today? 
that God has given us all that we need to do his will. And in this word, it's referenced twice in chapter 7. It said, the, will of the, the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. In this word, you have everything you need from God. Because in it, in this word, is where God has revealed himself in Jesus. In this word, you hear the great story, the true story of how God's people were waning and God sent the word to them. Today, we might read it. We might read the laws and the rules and the statutes. But all of those things pointed us to Jesus. In this word, you will find hope in Jesus. You do not need to hear the audible voice of God to know his will for you. You do not need to hear the audible word of God to know what the Lord desires for you. You do not need to hear the audible word of the Lord to give you direction in this life. It has been revealed to everyone, everywhere, and his name is Jesus. We don't need three tons of silver or 600 bushels of wheat or 600 gallons of oil. God has sent us Jesus. And you know what's so great about Jesus? is that Jesus sends people too. We see over and over in the New Testament, Jesus sending out his disciples to take his word, the gospel, to the nations. And that's a very special word, but it's very ordinary. We are called by Jesus to take this word to inject life into his people. We are called by God to be people of the word, who study the word, who teach the word, who pray the word, who sing the word, who memorize the word. We are called by God to be people who do the word. Because that is what will bring them life. He's working through kings. But the most important thing that he has given to his people is his word. Which brings me to my second point. It's not as long as the first one. How will you respond? How will you respond when God sends his word into your life? Because there's great news in the gospel of Jesus. There's new life. There's new desires. There's a new heart. 
But when the Word of God comes, it also comes with conviction. It comes demanding repentance. It it comes demanding and asking for everything we have. It asks of us to be somebody different because it asks us to follow after Jesus. And we see, turn with me to verse 27. How does Ezra respond? Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Is this how we respond to the word? When God sends people into our lives, teaching us the word, calling us to repentance, calling us to see sin in our lives, do we respond Oh God, we thank you for your steadfast love. Because this is what is true about the Word of God. It brings life to those who are dead. And it revives the soul. But it demands a response. You can come to church, you can go to Bible studies, you can ask for prayer requests, but if you do not respond to the Word of God, it becomes law, and it becomes unbearable. The good news is, you don't have to take a theology exam today, but you are called to read the Word, to study the Word, and to do the word. Because if you have this Bible in your hand and you don't believe it, you're doing a lot of damage. If you come to this church and don't follow Jesus by faith, you're hurting people. Do you confess that the Lord is your Savior and that God raised him up on the third day? If you do, you have been called to dedicate your life to following him. As I conclude in this chapter, as I have said, this is the third time we see a king a pagan king supporting God's people. Why do you think that is? Why do you think in seven chapters we see very similar stories of God using a pagan king to bless his people? 
people. In 2017, I took our youth group to RYM in Florida, and the theme was God is at work even when it feels that he's not. This is the reoccurring theme in the book of Ezra. Because in our hearts and in our minds, we stray away pretty quickly. We become overtaken by the cares of this world with kids, with work, with extracurricular whatever, with eating out, and we get distracted. And we can look at our world and very quickly presume God is not at work because there are pagan kings, pagan leaders, people who don't believe in the word of God. But the Lord is at work. God has sent Jesus to bring redemption. And God is calling us to follow after him and to love him by faith. Children. Making sure my two boys look at me. God has called you to follow him by faith. You must love his word. Adults. God has called you to follow him by faith. You must love his word. Fathers, mothers, daughters, sons, brothers, sisters, retired folk, you who are wiser. God has called you to follow him by faith. You must love his word because in his word you find the hope of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.